Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film listeners. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium so much. Today we're going to be adding another entry to the diary as I take you through my logged films on Letterboxd from August 1st, or excuse me, August 16th through August 30th. The second half of the month you can listen to the first half of August diary entry that is currently up on the feed now. Uh, only have like six films to talk about. Uh, it was a bit of a busy uh, few weeks. I was on vacation for a certain point, and I didn't really watch anything uh, during that time. Uh, but I still logged some good stuff and some stuff that I have a lot of opinions on, so I'm very excited to delve in. Before we begin, as always, be sure to like the show, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also follow us on social media, Frankly I Love Movies, on Facebook and Instagram, and then at frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. All of those accounts are monitored by me, and you can also check out me on Letterboxd uh, at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews that I will be talking about now. All right, so to start us off, uh, on August 16th, I watched The American Friend, which is Vim Vender's film from 1976, starring Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper actually plays um, Tom Ripley, who is the character from The Talented Mr. Ripley that Matt Damon plays, and he gets involved with a um, frame salesman, I believe, and they both get involved in a, uh, basically a a hit, like a uh, murder situation gone wrong. That's really what I, like, all I want to say about the plot, because I really didn't know a whole lot about this movie going in. Vin Vendors is not a director that I'm very familiar with. Um, I I mean, I know of his filmography, like Paris, Texas, and Wings of Desire, but I watched this because I've mentioned before I'm working on a new project with uh, my buddy Kevin Shaheen. He really loved this movie, and this inspired um, the project we're working on. So I figured I needed to kind of dive in and uh, give it a watch. And my God, this movie is outstanding. I was I was blown away by this movie from from the get go. Uh, it's like I think it's a little over two hours, but I was just locked in the entire time. It's such an interesting story that goes from character to character. Like you think you're following Tom Ripley for like the first 10 minutes or so. And you're really interested to see where that goes. Cause Dennis Hopper obviously is phenomenal and he's just such a, an interesting character and in whatever it is that he's playing. But then it shifts to focusing on this frame artist. And I was just so wrapped up in him and his family life and what he's going through and, how he gets involved in a really rough situation, which is one of the biggest takeaways I got from this. Like, it's really showing you how to portray, like, how you can have sympathy for these characters that are all kind of shitty, um, but they're in a really rough situation. And um, I don't really feel bad saying that I have sympathy for these characters because they feel like they're regular people. And uh, I don't think Vendors is, you know, condoning the behavior I, I don't really think any filmmaker is saying do this or would say like do this um but this is the situation that these characters find themselves in for the story and you really feel for them like especially the the main character who whose, whose name is escaping me not dennis hopper the 
the other guy, I can't remember his name, um, but he's going through some personal stuff, and you can see how that bleeds in to this opportunity to get money, and, uh, but the moral dilemma of, uh, you know, of doing a hit, like murdering somebody for money, um, you can really feel that throughout the, um, throughout the film. Uh, there's a really insane sequence that happens uh, on a train, which I thought it was just interesting. I think on the last diary entry, I talked about Bullet Train and how all of like that movie I just did not like at all. And this movie has just an insanely ridiculous but super well-choreographed and tension-filled section that's on a train, and I loved it. That's how you do a fun train sequence. I can see how someone would say it kind of sticks out from the rest of the film. It does have some comedic elements to it, but it just worked for me. Like I was just, I was locked in. It had some great tension and some twists and turns. It's like a 10 minute scene. It's, it's really great. Um, and I think when most people talk about this movie, they reference the cinematography, which is just unbelievable. Robbie Mueller did the cinematography and it is just, I say it on Letterboxd, it is goaded. It is so beautiful the way the camera like flows in every scene and the colors. Oh my God, like really highlighting blue and green tones since art is a predominant um, topic in this film and is very much a part of the story. This movie really is, it looks like a painting. And I don't mean that in like the Wes Anderson kind of way, um, where like that I feel like that's saying in and of itself like that every frame of painting um it has been overused to this point I mean that in a in a texture and color way the way that that Mueller uses the camera to frame his subjects um and then adds like bluish greenish tones to everything it does kind of make it feel like this um like a painting that you would see in a museum and it's just perfect because it, um, you know, goes along with the story. It reminded me of Larjan in that way, which I talked about in the diary entry of Bresson's last film and how, you know, that movie looks like you're looking at a dollar bill and or like a, um, a note, a, a French note. Um, but this is um, this is different. And there are just some gorgeously um, framed shots. Like um, I think my favorite that I can think of is... Um, early on when you meet uh the 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 guy who owns the frame shop the other main character he's holding like a broken frame he's holding it up to light but you only see like his arms and frame like holding um the the outline of the frame and then this window is just like piercing white light and he holds it up to it and it looks so cool and so beautiful i love it or even just the um the the shot that the uh the Criterion cover is based on him just leaning up against a post at a train station, just waiting um, and watching someone is so, so great. There's a lot of really great uses of silence in this movie. There are long sections without dialogue and it's totally visual. And I, I, I was just locked in. I, I really want to do an episode on this. Um, I just I just loved it. I loved it so much. It flew by. It was so interesting. The ending was so satisfying. Just a really great noir story that I I'm very excited to return to and I really want to do a Vim Vendors uh binge, but I've been binging um I've been binging another director which I'll talk about in a little bit. 
But if you've never seen The American Friend, I highly, highly recommend it. I gave it five stars. I gave it a like. I really have no qualms with this movie or critiques. It's just so beautiful and just a, 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 a like it knocks you out how good it is. Um, and it's it's just lovely. It's on the Criterion channel. Buy the Criterion Blu-ray if you want. Just please check it out. All right, switching gears a little bit. Two days later on August 18th, this was the day before I was leaving to go on vacation, and I wanted something kind of lighter. Um, I didn't want a foreign movie. I wanted something new, but something short and something contemporary. So I was cruising around HBO Max, seeing what I could come across, and I landed on The Spectacular Now. Directed by James Ponsolt from 2013, starring Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller, about two very different high school high schoolers who fall in love um, with each other and have to deal with their individual family issues. This was one that I had heard a lot about when it came out. It came out in 2013. I uh, I was a sophomore in high school when it came out, and uh, that was like around the time when I was really getting into the idea of being a director and noticing more independent films than just the mainstream releases. And uh, Matt Simmons, who's been on the show before, really loved this movie when he saw it. And so I was interested um, to dive into it. I didn't really know a whole lot else about it other than the you know the coming-of-age love story aspect of it. I bet if I watched this when I was 15, I would have loved it. Like, I think around that same time, realizing my love for the coming-of-age genre which is still very much alive within me. Um, and, you know, these two performers and all the whole cast is full of very talented people. Brie Larson's in it, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Kyle Chandler, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, a lot of people in this movie. And I think back then, at me at 15, I think I would have really connected with this movie. But at, at, at 24, I really didn't. I honestly didn't really like this movie all that much, um, and it's really unfortunate. I was I was really trying to love it. I wanted to be on this movie's side, but the biggest thing is that like I believed nothing that was happening. I didn't believe that the that the actors were the ages that they were supposed to be. I, I, like Shailene Woodley, you can kind of get away with her being a high schooler, but like the character that she's supposed to be playing is very oblivious to a lot of adult things and uh you know learns about you know learns about drinking and partying and all of that which is like i understand the character trope but her doing it is something i don't believe especially at this point you know she had already done the descendants which is a way more mature character for her and is basically the same age as what she's supposed to be playing here and it was just weird that you know this is almost like a regression i guess it's like a step down from that in terms of age and, and, and maturity. And I just, it didn't work for me. Um, Miles Teller, same thing. Like he, a year later, he does Whiplash um, and, he, and he sells it in that. And it's, I, I believe them way more as college students than I do as high schoolers, I think is the, the main thing I'm trying to get at here. I mean, it, Caitlin Deaver is in this movie as like a sophomore or something. And I believe that she is a high schooler because she was the age of a high schooler and you can get away with you know I'm, I'm usually very forgiving of you know actors playing an age that they're not on film sometimes it works sometimes it does not 
but I was I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I just didn't believe anything. Like, I didn't believe any character's relationship. I didn't believe any of the conflict that they were going through. I didn't believe that they had some conflict with each other, or Miles Teller has some issues with his father, played by Kyle Chandler, and he has this image of him in his head about being a great guy and being so loving, but obviously he isn't, and he comes to find that out throughout the movie. You know, I just, it, I just didn't believe anything. Like, I was just like, these are just actors on screen reading lines, and like, Brie Larson does not look like a high schooler either. She's trying to play it off, and like it, that was just a big thing for me. I bet if I bet if these characters were, if I just believed them or they were unknowns, and I believed that they were the ages they were supposed to be playing, I would have gone along with the movie a lot more. But for the most part, like even just like the conflict, I was like, I don't believe there's any relationship here because again, it was like another instance of just telling me what I need to know and telling me like you know you're you're a good guy, everyone loves you, you know you're not like this person and you're gonna be fine, you know, all, all of that, like, it wasn't very engaging or rich, it was just, like, kind of a movie that just kind of went by, in one ear, out the other, and, like, it was really upsetting, like, the best part of this movie is Kyle Chandler, in my opinion, because he's actually, he's someone who's playing against type, and it works, and I'm never gonna say no to a Kyle Chandler performance, I love him very much, but, you know, this just didn't do anything for me. It didn't grab me. I wasn't emotionally invested when thing again, when things happened. There's like a turn towards the end of the second act where I was just like, really? And then the events that followed made it even more like, how how is this what happens after that event? Like, really? There has to be something. There's something wrong here. This is not like I can't believe that this is how these events are playing out. Like, events will happen and then the reaction to them in the story, it feels like they had there was no consequence. And I'm not just saying, like, this person should have, um, you know, died, or this person should be, like... I, I just I just wanted something, you know? Like, there should have been some form of consequence for any of the actions, or... Because characters get into personal conflict. This is a story about relationships, and there's just nothing of that to be found. And by the end of it, you know, there's this whole, like, alcohol subplot that doesn't go anywhere, and... Like, I just think that there are ideas in this movie, but that aren't played through. Nothing affects each other. Like, I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I've i liked James Pon, uh, Ponsold's movies before. Like, I, I really love The End of the Tour. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend that. That's a movie where I believe everything and the relationships are very well utilized because it's a good script. Um, this isn't. And I, I felt like I would just rather be watching shithouse or the perks of being a wallflower two coming-of-age movies that i really love um and are way more effective now again that could be a subjective thing i mean film is subjective overall but you know your attachment to high school and relationships and who you were at that time in your life could affect your viewing of this movie differently than i did i just didn't grasp at anything like and it's not that i went over my head it was just like all right this movie's playing We'll just get it over with. It's quick. So, yeah, it was disappointing. I, I gave it, I only gave it two stars. I did not give it a like. I don't have any intention on returning to this movie anytime soon. And I hate sounding like, you know, a, a cynic or, um, you know, because I have, I mean, I have the cynical part in me, but I hate just sounding like, yeah, this is just like, this sucks. <laughs> but like, it just, it, it doesn't do anything for me. Like, I was just, it was just kind of an empty experience, unfortunately. Um, but if I'm wrong, please let me know.
So the next day on uh, August 19th, I set off to go to vacation in Ocean City, Maryland with some friends of mine. So while we were there, I didn't do any movie watching. It was more of a time to disconnect and just kind of be with my friends. And it was a really lovely week. Um, we had such a great time in very many memories. Um, the one thing I will say, actually, that we did watch, and it's not even a movie because I, I, I can't log it on here, but we did watch um, our high school. We all went to high school together. Um, our high school's production of um, we did Footloose the musical my senior year, which I think I mentioned when we did the 1984 Footloose episode on this show. Um, but we watched that and did a drinking game to it. And it was very fun um, and you know very funny and just kind of commentating through that. But other than that, we did not watch any movies um, or really any TV while we were down there. Just trying to enjoy each other's presence, you know, not be consumed by media which was a good choice overall. Um, I will say, though, but by the end of the trip, I was ready. I was just like, I was kind of getting a little restless. I was like, oh, I want to go see a movie. And there was one movie in particular that was out, that had been out for like a week or so, um, that I was very excited to see, and I knew I had to see it as soon as I got back. And on the Sunday that I got back, I got back on the Saturday, but the next day, which was the 28th, um, at night, I went to the theater to go see Bodies, 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 um, which is the new kind of gen... Um, Z millennial horror film <laughs> directed by Helena Rain, starring uh, Rachel Sonnet, Luke Pace, Pete Davidson, Maria Bakalova. This is a isolated horror movie, a group of 20-somethings. They're playing a kind of a mafia-style hide-and-seek game called Bodies, 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 where one of them is the killer and everyone else tries to escape. But then um, people actually start dying and then they have to figure out who the actual killer is all in the confines of this mansion during a hurricane. And I really liked this movie. I had a great time with it. I gave it three and a half stars. I gave it a like. It was a really fun time at the theater. Um, it's it's very atmospheric. It's very, it's very well paced. Um, I don't think it's super scary, but it does have some good atmosphere and some good location. I wish it had just a few more kind of good, just some good scares, I think, would have elevated it a little bit more. I think... Pretty much everyone's performance is great. Everyone's been highlighting Rachel Sonnet. Rightfully so. She's phenomenal. Um, this is such a different character for her than she was in Shiva Baby, which is admittedly, I think, a better performance, but she's really great in this. She's very... This is like a star-making role because she's so likable and so um, relatable in the sense that she is a friend of ours that we all know. There's a bit of me in her. I mean, she has the whole podcast thing, which is really funny. Um, she reminds me of my friend Heather a lot, which, uh, really made me attach, attached to her really easily. But I think everyone's performance, like, overall was really good. I actually thought Pete Davidson did a really good job. Luke Pace was really good. I wish he had more to do, unfortunately, but he, again, is, is still very good and very different. Um, I will say, though, the one performance that I honestly did not like, I thought it was awful and just kind of miscast, was Maria Bakalova. Unfortunately, you know... I know a lot of people like her from Borat 2, which I admittedly have not seen, um, and I had forgotten that that was her in this when I went to go see it, um, but I think she's really miscast, and she's not very, just, she's not good in this, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I didn't like her performance at all, um, and it was very distracting at points, especially because, you know, she's the main character, she's kind of on the outskirts of this group, and you want to try and connect with her in some way. It just didn't work for me. There are also some character decisions I won't get into because I don't want to spoil anything, 
that that left me kind of like, what? This is what you're doing? And I understand that, yes, you know, you can say that about a lot of horror movies, about people making dumb decisions. But there were some very specific ones in this movie where I was like, this is what they decided to do? Really? That's just weird. Um, But all of that, for the most part, didn't... I think the performance, like, soured my experience of the movie a little bit. But everything else, again, it made for a very fun time at the theater. Um, I saw it at night, which was great. And seeing it just after having spent a week, you know, with my friends in a vacation house, it made this the perfect thing to see. It made it um, even more relatable in a way. Maybe not relatable, but I got sucked into it a lot easier. So it, it was kind of like really getting the high off those final traces of the vacation in a way. So it was the perfect setting to see this movie in. Uh, and I definitely want to see it again. Uh, I definitely want to pick up the Blu-ray when that comes out. Uh, if you haven't seen Bodies, 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 I highly recommend. It's uh, it's a good time. All right. Three films left. And we're flying by these. Uh, the next day on, on August 29th, I started, I mentioned earlier that I started doing a director binge. I watched Gods of the Plague from 1970, which is a noir film from the prolific German director Rainer Werner Fassbender. And the reason I'm doing this is because um, I have a podcast coming up in just a few days um, on one of Fassbender's films. So I am watching slash rewatching a lot of his work because I, I took a class on Fassbender in college and I um, and it really challenged me because a lot of his movies, um, especially Gods of the Plague, is kind of in his avant-garde phase and um, it didn't really connect with me as much when I was younger, um, you know, I saw it when I was like 20, yeah, when I, when I was 20, I took that class, and at that point, I hadn't really opened my mind as much to older cinema as I should have, not that I was closed-minded, but like certain things definitely just didn't work for me, and there were a lot of Fassbender films that I was like, ah, not really, you know, jiving with this, there were some that I really liked, and you know, I'll talk about one of those in a second, but, you know, I, um, some of them felt like chores to get through than others, um, but going back through now and like, you know, having just, you know, gotten into Douglas Sirk films and, you know, Fassbender was very inspired by him and a lot of his films after this one, like in the seventies and, um, were melodramas. And so seeing that connection was really great. But, uh, I started with Gods of the Plague because I, I remember watching a scene from that movie, but I don't remember the whole thing. Um, and it was great to kind of watch it, um, you know, pick a noir um, I thought this movie was pretty good. It was okay. It didn't really, you know, wow me, but it was interesting. I, I really love the black and white photography. I think everyone looks really cool. Kind of the key word in this episode is atmosphere. So there's a lot of really great settings. And um, again, comparing that with the fact that like a lot of this movie's filmed at night on the black and white. Um, and I really liked watching Fassbender just kind of play around in these early stages of his career. This is actually kind of like technically a sequel to his other movie, which is called Love is Colder Than Death which I, I have not seen and actually didn't realize that it was a sequel um, because for some reason Criterion put this movie first in the collection of Fassbender films then, and then Love is Colder Than Death, so I was just like, oh, I'll just watch this one. Um, but maybe I'll have to go watch that one and uh, kind of compare the two. Um, but this movie, I think, has more ideas than it does have cohesive beats, and I think it makes sense that this was in his avant-garde stage because it, it is kind of just characters and scenes talking to one another. And um, it I wasn't necessarily expecting a full 
um, structured story, having seen some of Fassbender's work, you know, he doesn't deal in that, um, especially earlier in his career. Um, like this is very reminiscent of one of his other films from this time called Kotzelmark, Kotzelmacher, um, which is literally just people, friends, just kind of sitting in rooms talking to one another. Um, that was the first film we watched in that class and that one didn't really do anything for me. I honestly like just didn't like it. Um, maybe I'll return to it, but I've been really focusing on the melodrama side of his career. Um, because that's what we're going to focus on for that episode. But I, f- I did find it at points hard to kind of pick out certain characters and their relationships with one another and who they were in terms of, um, you know, the story overall. So that can that kind of made it um, not as engaging. It kind of made it a bit confusing for me. Um, but I, I still found it like a co- it was a cool noir and it had some good ideas in it. And again, I really liked to watch this Fassbender play with what he enjoys. Like, he clearly loves the noir genre. He loves shitty characters. He loves um, kind of gross settings and um, flawed communities, I guess. Um, This kind of underground setting. And uh, it it was definitely interesting to watch. Like, I'm glad I checked it off. I, I don't picture myself going back to this one anytime soon. Um... But I mean, Fassbender is a is a fascinating artist and someone who I've really come to love in the you know and uh, with with age and with time away from those initial viewings. Um, so I'm just excited to go through his catalog and talk about him when we do this episode um, coming up. Um, so I gave I gave this movie three stars. Um, I didn't give it the like. But uh, I still overall would say I enjoyed myself. It's less than 90 minutes. I would say it's like 87 minutes or something like that. Maybe even shorter. Because of, like I said, that like you can, it's hard to discern certain characters that it, it can sometimes lag in that sense. But um, I still enjoyed myself. I, I still am glad that I watched it and have an opinion on it. So Gods of the Plague from 1970 gave it three stars. All right. Uh, the next day on August 30th, I continued... Um, the uh, Fassbender binge with one that I knew I liked from that class, which is The Merchant of Four Seasons. Uh, This is from 1972. This is all about a uh, man named Hans who comes back from the war and is um, finding that his relationships with others, he's being very um, ignored and not taken seriously and undermined. And um, so he has to start his own business and he has a um a fruit cart and stand that he sells around uh around Germany. And we get a, a sense of his relationships with his mother and his um and his wife and his child and then the person that eventually comes on to work with him. This movie's amazing. I love it so so much. I was it was such a wonderful rewatch because there were definitely parts of it that I remembered and other parts that I didn't um, and you can totally see the influence of Douglas Sirk and the melodrama aspect of, um, you know, uh, of the story and the way that the characters are, um, are blocked and how they are relate or how they relate to one another. But I love the camera movements in this. Fassbender loves to do these like kind of slower zoom ins or even like fast ones for dramatic effect to like, again, get that melodrama kind of feel he does a lot of that that's really great he also does really well with flashbacks in this this movie is also really short i think it's also under uh 90 minutes but he goes through like he starts with hans coming home 
and then he intercuts a few flashbacks with like some past relationships in there. Even up until the end, we see him at, um, at war at one point. And it's just so well done. Like, it's so satisfying. And it's so fluid. It's such a fascinating story because there's so much pain there. And um, the fact that it is a satisfying narrative by the end where you reach it is so well planned and when you get there you're like oh he fucking did it but also damn it he did it and it hurts like it's it it hurts to watch this movie at points um but seeing his inspiration and finding the greatness within Douglas Sirk and putting that into his own work and realizing where he um really got his footing as a director um and it's not just in this movie like I mean Fassbender has, like, so many movies. He's got, like, 40 films. He's got two television series. He had so many plays. It may have been 24 films. I could be wrong. But he has so much shit, you know? He was so prolific, and he died at 37, and it's, like, very sad. And But you see him, like, just working constantly and making these movies that are unbelievably, like, extravagant at points, and others are so broken down emotionally. But you can tell how much work he put into this. Like, this movie is so rich, and it's very inspiring. Like, I was inspired throughout this entire movie. Like, I literally, I thought of an idea for a story, like, a few weeks ago, and as I was watching this, like, more ideas about it started popping up in my head, and I was just contemplating how this idea could be something and be also influenced by melodrama. And it was just, it floored me. I was just, I was blown away by this movie. I loved it. Um, I gave it four and a half stars. The reason I didn't give it a full five, I will say, is that like the pacing definitely does kind of wane a little bit in the second half, just a little bit. But this, I love this movie. I love this movie so much, but I definitely gave it the like. Um, I'll say like, if you're interested in checking out Fassbender, I know he's not for everybody, but I think that if you start in the melodrama, some of his more well-known films like this or even Marriage of Maria Braun, um, you'll enjoy his catalog a bit more. So I think if you're looking for a place to start, start with The Merchant of Four Seasons because it's not that big of a time commitment. And again, it's just incredibly satisfying the way that he tells the story. I love this movie. I'm very inspired by it and I'm... Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I, I'm almost speechless at this point because of how much I love this movie. It's so great. Um, so yeah, The Merchant of Four Seasons, four and a half stars, and gave it the like. All right, we have reached the final film in this diary entry. Uh, this is from August thirty first, last day of the month, kind of ending the summer um, with a another new release. I went to the theater once again. And uh, I was between two films at this point because there wasn't really anything in theaters, at least in my theater, that I was like really itching to see. But it's my day off and I wanted to go to the theater because I'm I obviously I love the theater. And so I was between The Invitation and 3000 Years of Longing, both movies that I wasn't super stoked about seeing um, for different reasons. But I was kind of weighing it. I was like, okay, I've heard mixed things about 3,000 years. And it could be like a really like asking you to engage a lot. There's a lot of elements in it. It's kind of like stories within stories kind of movie. Or The Invitation could be a really bad but enjoyable vampire movie because that trailer looks ridiculous. 
So I was like, and they were like the same length. So I was like, uh, what, what do I want to do? And I was like, you know what? Let's go. Let's go for a bad horror movie. So I went with The Invitation. The Invitation, if you're unfamiliar, is about um, Evelyn, or Evie, as she likes to be called, played by Natalie Emmanuel, finds out that she has um, family over in England and reveals that there's this um, vampiric conspiracy within her family that unravels while she is over there for a wedding. I don't think that's a spoiler at all because that is basically in the trailer. The trailer shows a lot of this movie, and honestly, the trailer is way better than the movie. This movie is terrible. Oh my god. The worst crime this movie commits is that it is incredibly boring. Like, I was expecting... Maybe I shouldn't say I was expecting it to do something, but I had wished that it would have been, like, I wish there was more something, like, more over-the-topness to it. Because we're in, like, an extravagant mansion in a crazy cult-like setting. Like, there were so many moments where they could have gone the extra mile to just make it ridiculous, and they don't do that. Like, there's nothing in this movie where I'm like, wait, what? Because there's nothing in this movie. There's nothing to latch on to. All of the acting is awful. It's so bad, and it's not interesting. Like, everyone also just kind of looks bored. Like, Natalie Emmanuel is very, very bad in this, and she can't lead a movie. Like, she's good on Game of Thrones, um, but this is not, this was not a good choice for her career, and I was just, I was finding my, like, I was struggling to stay awake or just walk out, but I was like, no, just, just keep going. It'll be fine. It'll be over soon, and the last, like, 40 minutes really, like, test your patience. There's some exciting things in the last 10 minutes. I will I will give it that because of how just ridiculous it gets. Because the action definitely ramps up in the final moments. But this movie also needed to be bloodier. Like, it really isn't graphic or anything. It's about vampires. Like, I mean, just, come on. The scares were cheap. It reminded me, honestly, a lot of, like, Morbius and Uncharted. Like, you can tell that this was a Sony property, trying to be cool, trying to be interesting, trying to be graphic within the confines of a PG-13 rating, and none of these movies do that well. They are not successful at all. I think that that practice of doing so is just, like, um, is moot at that point. Um, but yeah, this movie was really bad. It was not, there was not really anything to latch onto. There wasn't any unintentional humor there wasn't anything to really move things along. It was just so boring. It was just, like, not interesting at all. And I love bad horror movies, but they have to be, like, some form of engaging. Like, they have to be... Like, there are bad horror movies that are fast-paced, and that makes it interesting, and you find all the bad shit, like, within it, and it's fun to make fun of. This is not fun to... Like, I hope I never watch this movie again. It was that bad. It was just, like so dreary and dull and slow and I just ugh, it just doesn't work just doesn't work at all so I only gave it one star the only reason I'm giving it I didn't give it like nothing or half a star is because I will say there were some things at the end where I was like all right you got my attention please entertain me as you should have been doing for the last hour and a half um and it was at least something you know 
Um, but yeah, don't see this movie. I wish I had seen 3,000 Years of Longing. Maybe I would have, I, I imagine I would have liked it more. I don't know if I would have loved that movie or not, but I would have liked it more than this piece of garbage. So yeah, The Invitation. Gave it one star. I don't recommend checking it out. That is it, guys. That is the diary entry. I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, form of content, and I hope you guys had a really great summer of um, of movie watching and uh, media binging and however you guys consume content. I hope that's been good for you. I would love to know what you guys have been uh, watching and taking in, so please leave a comment and let me know what you guys have watched this summer, any standouts, good or bad, that have come your way. Again, check the show out on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Frankly I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Underscore Podcast, and you can check me out on Letterboxd at BigWalls21. Um, I should have the next diary entry for the first half of September um, up in just a couple weeks, but the um, very exciting, the standalone episodes are coming. I think they're, I'm going to start rolling them out either at the end of September or beginning of October. So only a few more weeks to wait uh, on those. And we have some very exciting episodes coming for you guys. I, I can't wait to share them with you. And uh, thank you guys for just listening and you know sticking with me. Again, as always, I greatly appreciate your listenership. So until next time, I'm Josh Wall. And frankly, I love movies. Movies.